Our New Testament lesson today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 27. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he, is, when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind, and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we conclude our series on sacred ordinary days, and we do so by reflecting on the way we conclude each and every one of our sacred ordinary days. Resting. Rest is one of our most basic and instinctive human needs, and yet for most of us gathered here today, it remains astonishingly elusive. There is a story in my family that I feel certain is at least partially urban legend, but it is my mother's favorite story to tell. When I was a young child, it was very easy to convince me to take a nap. The problem was, every nap that I took was incredibly short. So my parents told me that even if I woke up, I had to stay in the bed until explicitly given permission to get up. Now, I have absolutely no memory of this, but apparently I handled the situation by staying in the bed and yelling at the top of my lungs, Can I get up yet? My parents would holler back, no. And as the oldest child and a perpetual rule follower, I would reply, okay. And my parents congratulated themselves for being geniuses. My mother, though, remembers the day the system fell apart. After being told to stay in bed a bit longer, I yelled back, will you better not be having fun without me? And I hopped out of bed and out of my room to see what was going on. From that day on, she said, nap time required negotiation. I have to tell you, though, that as an adult, resting still requires negotiation. And I find this to be true not only for myself, but for just about everyone I encounter these days. Think about the last three or four times someone asked you how you are doing. I bet at least one, if not more, times your reply included the words, I'm just so busy, or good but tired, or some variation on that theme. In our time and in our culture, to be busy has become some sort of utterly bizarre status symbol. And scientists have observed that more and more humans, or at least Americans, we actually compete with one another over who is more tired or who has more right to be tired. 
Just like children at some point begin to resist nap time, we resist Sabbath. And the more I think about it, I think this is part of the reason why. Resting or Sabbath, it sounds good in the abstract, but the reality of it, it requires us to confront some uncomfortable truth about ourselves. The Reverend, Tish Warren, the, the Reverend Tish Harrison Warren, a priest at the Church of the Ascension Anglican Parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, she wrote a book titled Liturgy of the Ordinary, and she says it this way. She says, our sleep habits both reveal and shape our love. A decent indicator of what we love is that for which we willingly give up sleep. I love my kids, she says, so I sacrifice sleep for them often. I nurse our baby or comfort our eldest after a nightmare. I love my husband and my close friends, so I stay up late to keep a good conversation going. I rise early to pray or to take a friend to the airport. But, she says, my willingness to sacrifice sleep also reveals my less noble love. I stay up later than I should, drowsy on the couch, surfing the internet and watching videos of cute animals. Or I stay up trying to squeeze more activity into the day, packing it with as much as possible. My disordered sleep, she says, reveals a disordered love. I have made an idol of entertainment or productivity. My willingness to sacrifice much-needed rest reveals that these very good things, entertainment and work, have taken a place of ascendancy in my life. In the nitty-gritty of my daily routine, repentance for idolatry might look as pedestrian as shutting my email off an hour earlier. The truth is, she continues, my habit surrounding rest reveals and shapes what I love and what I value, whether I care to admit it or not. That last part especially is worth hearing again. My habits surrounding rest, or in other words, my acceptance of or my resistance toward Sabbath reveals and shapes what I love and what I value, whether I care to admit it or not. Rest also forces us to confront our limits. Because no matter how hard we try and no matter how valiantly we fight, eventually we surrender to sleep. And sleep is a reminder that we are all finite. God is the only exception to this. The psalmist reminds us, The Lord will not let your feet be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God is the only exception. It was a handful of years ago now, a Sprint commercial proclaimed defiantly, I want, no, I have the right to be unlimited. And that is the message the world instills in us, that there are no limits, that nothing should stop us, slow us down, 
or contain our freedom. According to the National Health Interview, nearly 30% of adults average less than six hours of sleep per night, which is significantly under the recommended seven to eight hours. 30% of high school students report getting less than eight hours, though research tells us that teenagers need 10. And in one study, more than 7% of people between the age of 25 and 35 admitted to actually nodding off while driving, and that was just in the past month. All of this and more has led for the Center for Disease Control to declare insufficient sleep to be among our gravest public health problems. Now, resisting our limits is not new to us. From the very beginning, we have pushed against boundaries. Adam and Eve, about five minutes after life is breathed into them, they sin and they do it because, Scripture tells us, they wanted to be like God, invincible and all-sufficient, autonomous and limitless. Sabbath requires us to surrender all notion of that. And it is important enough that God doesn't merely suggest it, God commands it. Sabbath is the fourth commandment in a series of ten, as Kathy just read for us. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods besides me. You shall worship no idols, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Sabbath is essential to how we understand God, and it is part and parcel of how we relate to God. And those commandments that follow, the fifth through the tenth, they are all about how we relate to one another. Honor your mother and father. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. The commandments are a unit, more than they are individual pieces. And I wonder if Sabbath might not be the linchpin in the whole equation because it requires us to understand ourselves rightly in relation to God, but it also affects how we relate to one another. (coughs) Have you ever snapped at someone, not because they deserved it, but because you were tired or weary, and you couldn't help yourself, and it happened before you even realized? I know that I have. I think that's one of many reasons Jesus says Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. Now he says this right after he tells the Pharisees a story about David. But here's the thing about this story. He gets nearly every detail wrong. Jesus is referencing a story that we have already read. It's in 1 Samuel, but if you look it up and compare the two side by side, the details are a mess. For one thing, Jesus says that Abiathar was the high priest at the time, but it was really Abimelech. 
And I could tell by the looks on your faces as soon as I read it that that was just driving you crazy to hear that error. There are plenty of inconsistencies. Now, most scholars, they blame the mistake on the scribes, the ones who copied scripture over and over again by hand. After all, a few errors were bound to creep in. And that well may be the case, but I wonder if Jesus gets some of the details wrong on purpose to draw our attention to yet another inconsistency. Jesus makes a point of saying that David gives his companions the forbidden bread because they are hungry. First Samuel simply mentions that David broke the rules. It offers no explanation for why. Jesus is the one who says the rules were broken because people were in need. I think Jesus wants us to realize that in any story, human need will always be the detail that matters most. That God is always always concerned about the deepest hungers of humanity. And I think that we are all hungry for real rest. But like any kind of hunger, the hungrier we grow, the less we ourselves can actually notice it. Sabbath was made for humankind, Jesus says, because God has a habit of knowing what we need far before we do. That's why rest is actually physically built into our lives. It comes, bidden or not, just like clockwork, actual and literal clockwork, as the sun rises and sets each day. Joy comes in the morning, the psalmist says, And I suspect it is in no small part because it follows our surrender to sleep. Barbara Brown Taylor, a preacher from Georgia, she tells the story of a friend of hers in rural North Carolina. Her friend was lost and was pulled over by the police. I'm sorry, officer, she said, but I have been lost for more than 40 minutes and I cannot find my hotel anywhere. And the officer looked at her and said, well, ma'am, I'm terribly sorry about that. But what made you think that hurrying would help you find your way? The truth is, hurrying rarely helps us find our way. Rest does, because it reminds us who we are, and even more importantly, who God is. But a necessary and cautious word about all of this. Sabbath was made for humankind, Jesus says, not humankind for the Sabbath. And it follows that story of his disciples picking heads of grain at an inappropriate time. When we receive the gift that is Sabbath rest, It can free us and transform us. But not if we become like the particular Pharisees in the story who take issue with the timing of the disciples' action. 
because our lives, they all look different. And Sabbath can look different too. A church musician is unlikely to find Sunday to be their deepest experience of Sabbath. And a server in a restaurant likely won't find it on Saturday. The rhythms of our lives require us to set time aside. And it doesn't matter when that Sabbath is, what matters is that it happens. That we follow the commandment of the Lord our God, who knew that we would need rest, and who knew how much we would resist it. So if nothing else today, remember this. Allowing yourself to rest is to declare that God is the ruler of your life and not anything else. In 1987, the Anglican Church in New Zealand concluded a project that took over 20 years. They were crafting a new prayer book. The Reverend John Williamson was secretary of the commission assigned to this task, and he was asked to lead the group's final time of prayer together before they sent the book off for its final approval. He wrote a prayer for the occasion, prayed it, and at the meeting's conclusion, slipped it into the waste paper basket. But one member in attendance was so taken by the prayer that after John left the room, he retrieved it from the trash and suggested to the others that it be included in the final edition. They agreed, and since the book's publication, that prayer has been its most famous piece. That day, to conclude decades of careful work, the Reverend Williamson prayed the following. Lord, it is night. The night is for stillness. Let us be still in the presence of God. It is night after a long day. What has been done has been done, and what has not been done has not been done. Let it be. The night is dark. Let our fears of the darkness of the world and of our own lives rest in you. The night is quiet. Let the quietness of your peace enfold us and all dear to us and all who have no peace. The night heralds the dawn. Let us look expectantly to a new day, new joys and new possibilities. It is in your name we pray. Amen.